0: You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more about this show, as well as my other podcast, How to Stand, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com. There you'll find episode guides, as well as additional reading, more exclusive content, tons of great stuff and never miss an update, an album review, interview, etc. by subscribing to the free newsletter, howtostand.substack.com. You could also become a paying subscriber on Substack, and that means you're supporting an independent creator, and become part of a community, howtostand.substack.com. Enjoy the show! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop really excited because today on rm's rex we're going to cover three books i've been really touched by quick reminder if you want to catch up on episodes one through four of rm's rex if you go to 17kpop.weebly.com they are all listed there links to them as well as through wherever you're listening just look for the episodes called rm's rex they are also linked to on my full episode directory at howtostand.substack.com and on the website too Without further ado, let's start with Please Look After Mom. This book from 2009 is by Kyun seok and it was actually discussed back in 2017 during a V Live with V and RM, and RM expressed how much he liked it. It actually entered the New York Times bestseller list just a month after the English language release. It has sold over 1.7 million copies in South Korea, and 1 million copies in just the first 10 months. The English version has received various accolades as well, literary prizes. The show has been adapted into a play and even a musical. And overall, this author has a lot of success. Lots of other novels, short stories, as well as nonfiction work that is translated in five languages. This story is split into four parts, five counting the epilogue. It's based on this mom who gets lost, a mom of four, she's 69, her name is Park Sonio. They're at this crowded Seoul subway, and she gets separated from her husband. So basically, the story is each part told from a different perspective, a different narrator, all about trying to find her after they get separated. It's, of course, a very complicated journey, but that's the very basic version of the story premise. And they uncover all this family history secrets along the way. Part one is called Nobody Knows. The narrator is the oldest daughter, who interestingly, the readers don't know the name of until part two. She describes the attempts the family took to literally find their mom and retrace their steps. She also expresses some bitter feelings toward her younger brother, Hyuncho, who was doted on extensively by their mom. So the other siblings felt kind of left out, lesser than, ignored, inadequate Part two is called, I'm Sorry, Hyunchul, and the narrator is that brother, Hyunchul. He's retracing his steps, realizing the route is involving every place he ever lived or worked. His life is kind of slowly moving before his eyes. He's flashing back to all these times, specifically focusing on the times he didn't live up to his mom's expectations. Felt like a failure as a son. This is interesting, because remember, in part one, he seemed like a poster child. Like, a doted-on, beloved kid who succeeded at everything and his mom was really proud of. That's how it looked to the siblings, but now we get his side. The dad narrates part three, called I'm Home, and he's just ruminating about all the things he should have done, the should-haves and could-haves about being a better husband. Part four, the mom herself narrates. It's called Another Woman. And the language used makes it sound like she's dead, or a ghost or something, walking through an empty house, reliving memories as she walks through it, while they are all out there still looking for her. She ends up actually meeting her own mom and embracing her. In the epilogue, one of the main daughters decides for inexplicable reasons to go on a spurt-of-the-moment trip to Rome with her boyfriend. So she's walking down the streets of Rome and visits the Vatican, where she prays and says, please look after mom. So at this point, you can infer she thinks her mom is dead. And it's kind of inferred that she is. But a lot of inferring takes place. The book's meaning is very ambiguous. I'll link to some interviews with the author that I just found fascinating on my site. And one of the things she talked about that I found so interesting is that the use of the word mom instead of mother was intentional. It feels warmer, more personal, and she said this book was about finding, quote, our sense of mom. So not just literally defining mom, but as a society, metaphorically, who is motherly? What does that look like? She brings up an interesting point about how since mom is always around, whoever you call mom in your life, a parental figure, however you define a motherly person, whoever that is, is probably in your life a lot, a regular presence, and so you kind of start to take it for granted that they're there, and you don't really get to know them because it's not like a visit anymore to catch up with a friend, it's just like, yeah, that's mom, she's always here. So this need to actually learn more about her is not what it used to be. She said, quote, What is ironic is that mom is always too close to everyone, which is why nobody pays any attention to her. Many people think their mom was born a mother, but she's also a person who learned the word mom in her childhood. Mom is a real person with memories, secrets, and desires. If the reader can rethink their relationship with their own mother, then that is the beginning of finding mom. So she really does treat talking about your mother as different from talking about your mom. And maybe reassessing who you call mother is the first step to finding that figure in your life you call mom. She also talks about how there's a lot we don't know and we think we do. Quote, mom is like a book we cannot finish reading. She still has some pages left, even after we've read the last word. I mean, think about whatever age you are. You've known a parent for years or a guardian. So picture whatever guardian you want. But don't you still learn new things about them? Even if you're super tight, learn new things about them? Like, don't you still have moments where they bring up a friend, maybe from years ago, or a hobby they used to have, or a hobby they currently have, an interest they have, and you're like, why didn't I know this about you? That's what this book's kind of getting at. They are reassessing how much do we know this person and how much more should we have been curious and really shown our love through, showing our curiosity and our excitement at getting to know more about her. I love this quote. The love embedded in everyday life is much more important than some specific moments of fiery passion. Often, everyday love is too easily forgotten because we're so used to it. We think it's natural to have it. And we don't realize how great it is to have someone beside us until they're gone as i do in this series of episodes i want to add the disclaimer that these are just recommendations rm of bts has made on his own as himself not saying hey here's an overt easter egg to the greater bts music video universe not related to that at all but i make the connections anyway Because I just find it really interesting how BTS's catalog is so them and what they read is so them. So to see the parallels, the connections between the messages they want to put into the world and the literature that indirectly inspires the music, I think there's value in that. So the first BTS discography parallel with this story is of course MAMA, J-Hope's whole solo song and video, the premise of Mom. We talked about that a bit in BT Study Guides episode 1 about Damien as well as the concept of mom and siblings you think you let down, like V-son stigma, I'm sorry my brother, I'm sorry my sister, etc. Trying to retrace your steps, the passage of time, reassess if you could go back, what would you do differently, cherishing those around you, literally losing your way. You could also, if you really want to get tinfoil hattie, see a connection with the subway station being a mean setting for them, a train anyway. And I do see some parallels to what we talked about in the BT Study Guides episode, "Latter Than Bombs, about that movie and the BTS song of the same title. Memory, family, your past, all that stuff is related. Now let's discuss The Unbearable Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera. This is from 1984. It was mentioned in a 2017 view live and a 2017 KBS interview. The Unbearable Lightness of Being is a love story, but so much more. It takes place in springtime in Prague from 1968 to the early 70s. It originally was published in Czech and is about the period of time up until the Soviet Union invaded Czechoslovakia. It was actually turned into an American movie in 1988 that Kundera disliked so much, he never authorized any of his work for a movie adaptation ever again. So if you want to support this story, this author, read the book, don't watch the movie. The stars are two women, a man, and a dog. One of the women is Sabina, someone who Tomas, the main man in the story, has an affair with. She revels in the feeling that she's stirring up trouble. She's a painter who copes with her frustration with communism and oppressive systems that she feels like have shaped her life and directed permanently its course, deals with political frustrations through her art. Franz is Sabina's other lover, a professor, who thinks of her with pity, thinks she's kind of an idealist. Tomas' wife is the other main woman in the story, Teresa, a photojournalist who does know about his womanizing and blames herself. She also has internalized a lot of body shaming from her mom, She's internalized a lot of negative aspects of the patriarchal, stigmatizing, exclusive society we live in. There's an interesting thematic crossover, too, because she's saying she's worried about her body in some contexts and worried about just being a body to him, to her husband. Tomás basically thinks life is too short to just have one woman. And he just thinks about it at a deep level, like life was meant to be plentiful. And he applies that to women. Very weird, I know, but he tries to nod to Nietzsche's views of an all or nothing life. Nietzsche believed in this sense of eternal recurrence. Like, hey, things are just bound to happen. That's how time goes. So YOLO, let fate happen. We're in a time loop. It's endless. It's eternal. It's going to happen. So just let it. Just enjoy what brings you pleasure in life. More related thoughts about Nietzsche. Frederick Nietzsche, this French philosopher. He wrote in Will to Power, and you'll recognize what I emphasize as being BTS related. Do you know what the world is to me? This world, a monster of energy without beginning, without end. This is my Dionysian world of eternally self-creating, the eternally self-destroying. One of his main takeaways was just about life he philosophized that the world is just this eternal force a lot is inevitable a lot is just destined to happen and he thought about how reality is kind of socially constructed there's no such thing as absolutes in life there's no such thing as one clear definition of good or bad right or wrong it's all based on temporal historical social context some people interpreted what he thought as nihilism like nothing means anything There is some debate among scholars about that, if he was just a nihilist, but I see him as more of a... I don't know what word is better, but not nihilist. It's not like he thought nothing meant anything, but he thought it was hard to trust in any definition of what that anything is. So in other words, he did view society as so artificially constructed, so he wasn't saying nothing means anything, but that we need to recognize nothing inherently means anything. That nothing means anything until we as a society decide to attach a certain meaning to it. That's more of how I view him. Anyway, Nietzsche had this view of what made us heavy, of being weighed down, as coming from this knowledge. Not this nihilism, but, you know, his views. He thought they brought on to anyone who believed him and agreed with him. The sense of heaviness on earth, like you're in a time loop for infinity. That is kind of nerve-wracking. That's a lot to think about. So he said, yes, my theory sounds heavy, but also YOLO, the YOLO mentality here, could be considered light. So basically, he said, well, you could think of my theory as light or heavy, and that just proves the point, that you decide how to define the thing. He proved his theory by using an example of that theory. Also, strange lightness of being is a quote from War and Peace during a death scene, so lots to read into there. This strange lightness of being in War and Peace referred to a sense of being not weighed down by the sense of eternity that can be overwhelming, but knowing things are just going to finish off quick, a sense of unburdening with that. Before you say, wait, 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 that's a really dangerous thing to say. Hold on one second, I will explain. I mean, that's how War and Peace put it, so, but... Lightness also refers to love. It can refer to intimacy. Throughout the unbearable lightness of being, they talk about lightness as almost a simile for love at its purest. An unpredictable, fleeting thing that is also, ironically, an anchor in what anchors us and motivates us to keep going in this life on earth. So the book uses the lightness of being concept in Nietzsche's view of socially constructed categorizations, labels, to bring up how love can be thought of as heavy or light. Light, if you lean into that part of Nietzsche's philosophy about love not being eternal, not being this, oh, I'm stuck for life force, but something you can just enjoy in the moment. Now, with that duality, there's of course another layer to unpack with the fact that the way that message is activated of, hey, love is fleeting, enjoy it while it lasts, applying to this guy cheating on his wife. Yeah, that's an interesting narrative way to put it. My guess is because it is so memorable and catches readers off guard So they start thinking about this theory and how universally it should be or should not be applied. I think that's the narrative purpose of using such a weird example of Nietzsche's views of the lightness of being concept. It was very intentional for this Tomas to be no saint. My favorite excerpt from the book, really fascinating. It's a long quote, so buckle up. The heavier the burden, the closer our lives come to the earth, the more real and truthful they become. Conversely, the absolute absence of burden causes man to be lighter than air, to soar into heights, take leave of the earth and his earthly being, and become only half real. His movements as free as they are insignificant. What then shall we choose, weight or lightness? When we want to give expression to a dramatic situation in our lives, we tend to use metaphors of heaviness. We say something has become a great burden to us. We either bear the burden or fail and go down with it. We struggle with it, win or lose. And Sabina, what has come over her? Nothing. She left a man because she felt like leaving him. Had he persecuted her? Had he tried to take revenge on her? No. Her drama was a drama, not of heaviness, but of lightness. What fell to her lot was not the burden, but the unbearable lightness of being." lots of ways to interpret that quote to me it's saying that it will always be a double-edged sword when you think you're protecting yourself and making life lighter less stressful less of a load in life to carry you think that's what you're doing if you distance yourself from people if you don't seek out love things that keep you on earth grounded anchored like relationships Yet, that feeling of lightness from zero responsibility, zero ties, zero anchors, is unbearable. It's an unbearable lightness. We need that heavy baggage in life to learn from, to use, to improve ourselves. And also remember, every time you see the word lightness in this book, think about love. And that it's also used to refer to love. So the love of being, the unbearable love, it's an overpowering degree. But feel free, of course, to interpret this story as you wish. Perhaps this is why a feather is a key symbol in BTS's story, or why they have maybe used other symbols of heavy versus light things. Just something to think about. But they definitely, in their music video stories, grapple with the same general concept of combating nihilism, but still having a pragmatic view, not a sunshine and roses view of things but not a everything-sucks way of looking at it either. Trying to see the good and the bad, and vice versa. Learn from the bad, accept the good. Take life, anchors and all. And I think that's a common theme through their music. Lastly, I am so excited to talk about this. I love this so much. The Art of Loving by Eric Frum. This actually is more directly related to BTS's music, and we know that because copies of The Art of Loving were sold through the official Big Hit store as a recommended pre-reading for fans gearing up for BTS's Map of the Soul Persona era. So they did want to overtly say, hey, read this as like your homework before the album comes out. It's a book by a social philosopher and psychoanalyst, and it is fascinating and truly a beautiful read for people like me who have a fascination with words, a love of just reading and thinking about people who have a way with words. This is a great one for you. What I'm going to do, because there's so much I could cover with this book, is I'm going to share a detail, an excerpt, a lyric, something from BTS's discography that came to mind while reading this book. Then I will read a key quote from the book and let you think about the parallels for yourself. Because really, coming to your own conclusions and reflecting is part of the fun of this book, I think. So get ready to get contemplative. Here are the parallels I see, starting with let's remind ourselves about Black Swan. The BTS sauna video for Black Swan symbolizes this power. Power that comes from love, joy, passion, and also a black swan represents mystery and can kind of signify a changing of who you are, a sense that you are hiding something to yourself. You have mysteries within you still to process. So here's the key quote We may know ourselves, and yet, even with all the efforts we make, we do not know ourselves. We know our fellow man, and yet we do not know him, because we are not a thing, and our fellow man is not a thing. The further we reach into the depths of our being on someone else's being, the more the goal of knowledge eludes us. Let's talk about shadow. The map of the soul song, and I know, we're talking about map of the soul 7, not just persona, whatever. (laughs) The map of the soul eras are what we're talking about. So shadow, that song is about that concept of being lonely at the top and feeling like you didn't realize how lonely it would be at the top. What is your success? How much does it truly mean to you without anyone cheering you on? Then there's the song Friends, which is about enjoying the mystery. that you still have a lot to learn about each other. Lyrics like, hello my alien, we are each other's mystery. Is that why it's even more special? Those different messages in Friends and Shadow, here is a key quote. Actually, I'm going to put two together. If I conform in custom dress ideas to the pattern of the group, I am saved saved from the frightening experience of aloneness. Most people are not even aware of their need to conform. They live under the illusion that they follow their own ideas and inclinations, that they are individuals, that they have arrived at their opinions as the result of their own thinking, and that it just happens that their ideas are the same as those of the majority. The advertising slogan of, it is different, shows up this pathetic need for difference. When in reality, there is hardly any left. Let's talk about the BTS song, Respect. They're contemplating, what has the world come to? Why can't people just be nice to each other? Quote, I'm confused of its meaning. I'm not really sure, do you know? Probably a concept that exists at the most superior rank, and they're trying to figure out what it means. Then there's a really funny lyric, because they're asking what it means literally, too, because respect, the word itself, means to literally look again. Re, Latin for back, spect, Latin for look at, to look back at, is the actual literal Latin translation. Some song lyrics, quote, look again and again, and you'll see faults, but you still want to keep looking, despite of that. You'll need that belief towards someone, and they keep going back and forth. Do you know what it means? I don't understand. I thought it meant looking back and finding a way to appreciate who someone has become, but no one's acting like that. Everyone's treating the definition differently. Let's go back to the literal roots of the word. Here are two really interesting quotes I'm going to read as one big quote from the book. Respect implies the absence of exploitation. I want the loved person to grow and unfold for his own sake and in his own ways, not for the purpose of serving me. If I love the other person, I feel one with them, but as they are, not as I need them to be. It is clear that respect is possible only if I have achieved independence. To respect a person is not possible without knowing him. Care and responsibility would be blind if they were not guided by knowledge. Knowledge would be empty if it were not motivated by concern. There are many layers of knowledge. The knowledge which is an aspect of love is one which does not stay at the periphery, but penetrates to the core. So he's basically saying respect is about treating someone right, valuing them as a person without knowing them. But responsibility requires knowledge and that's why it is messy sometimes to remember the importance of respect and responsibility and trying to emulate the definitions of both of those things competing interests it may seem and you have to learn to square the respect that comes regardless of if you know someone with the responsibility that comes with those that you do know and that is why they have a whole song about what is the meaning of this word because it is a tricky thing to remember BTS reflect on growing up in the song Inner Child, as well as the fact that they end the album without true ego. And in the video for that, J-Hope's baby picture is and then him today mimicking the pose. So it's like a nod back to his inner child. And that inner child is also a theme in their Wings era work. We've talked about that on BT Study Guides. And in the lyrics of this solo song, V is singing to his inner child. I'll take your hand and help you out, navigating through this world together, taking on a parental role to myself. Now here's a quote from the book. The child starts out by being attached to his mother as the ground of all being. He feels helpless and needs the all-enveloping love of mother. He then turns to father as the new center of his affections. In the stage of full maturity, he has freed himself from the person of mother and of father as protecting and commanding powers. He has established the motherly and fatherly principles in himself. He has become his own father and mother. He is father and mother. I do want to take a minute to say, obviously this is written with some heteronormative assumptions and definitely please keep in mind, I'm a sociology major, I can confirm. The research shows you, even homophobic kids in my college classes honestly, changed their minds when they actually saw the data and the qualitative stuff, interviews. The ultimate factor in a kid's well-being and growing into their own has nothing to do with the sex of their parents. It's truly about the care they get, so as an add-on to this author's thought. But the point, regardless of sex or gender, is that a kid learns to parent themselves and treat themselves and be both the role of a guardian and of the child still at the same time. Learns how to unite those and have those identities coexist. A couple more quotes that I just find really well put that relate to BTS's work both in and out of the Map of the Soul era You'll get the musical connections if you're a dedicated BTS music video universe person, an avid listener to the music, a big passionate fan. You'll you'll get the connections, and I do want to kind of encourage you to reach your own conclusions. So I'm just going to say a few more quotes and to let you make the BTS connections. I promise they're there. I love these words about having faith. Quote, to have faith requires courage, the ability to take a risk, the readiness even to accept pain and disappointment. Whoever insists on safety and security as primary conditions of life cannot have faith. Whoever shuts himself off in a system of defense where distance and possession are his means of security makes him a prisoner. To be loved and to love need courage, the courage to judge certain values as of ultimate concern, and to take the jump and to stake everything on these values. Relatedly, quote, The task we must set for ourselves is not to feel secure, but to be able to tolerate insecurity. Next one, while everybody tries to be as close as possible to the rest, everybody remains utterly alone, pervaded by the deep sense of insecurity, anxiety, and guilt, which always results when human separateness cannot be overcome. The strict routine of bureaucratized, mechanical work, which helps people to remain unaware of their most fundamental human desires. The routine of amusement. The passive consumption of sounds and sights. The satisfaction of buying ever new things and soon exchanging them for others. Number 4. To be loved because of one's merit, because one deserves it, always leaves doubt. Maybe I did not please the person whom I want to love me. Maybe this, maybe that. There is always a fear that love could disappear. Number 5. Most people see the problem of love primarily as that of being loved, rather than that of loving, of one's capacity to love. Hence, the problem to them is how to be loved, how to be lovable. In pursuit of this aim, they follow several paths. One, which is especially used by men, is to be successful. To be as powerful and rich as the social margin of one's position permits. Another, used especially by women, is to make oneself attractive. Many of the ways to make oneself lovable are the same as those used to make oneself successful. To win friends, influence people, and he's noting that's where the problem lies. With a lot of bigger social messages we're sending. This is how to be loved as opposed to society being ingrained with messages about how to love. Relatedly, quote, Love is an active power, a power which breaks through the walls, which separate people from fellow people, which unites them with others. Love makes them overcome the sense of isolation and separateness, yet it permits them to be themselves, to retain their integrity. In love, the paradox occurs that two beings being one and yet remain two. Number six, I know I'm kind of grouping a couple together. I want to get to the special number seven. The mature response to the problem of existence is love. Great connection that the problem of life, the inherent burden we have to deal with because it's better than the alternative, the unbearable lightness. The mature response to that conundrum is love. And lastly, this went not as deep. I just love this. Modern man thinks he loses something, time, when he does not do things quickly. Yet he does not know what to do with the time he gains except kill it. I've given you tons to think about. If you want to read any of these in full for yourself, my favorite is The Art of Loving. But feel free to check them all out. Hope I gave you a lot to think about and reflect on. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode, and I will talk to you all again very soon. Bye everyone!